The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, Visit MagnaGrip.com. All right, welcome to the first two battalion chief uh, tonight. Tony Carroll is back with me again. Um, we're hoping Eric uh, will join us, but uh, he's having trouble with his Wi-Fi. So for now, Tony and I will just get started. Hopefully, Eric will will get to join us, but. So, Tony, how's it going? Welcome again. Thanks for being here, as usual. Um, yeah, yeah. It's um, I guess it's getting to be wintertime here. starting to get cold. Yeah, I'm getting ready for Christmas. You know, it don't feel like Christmas, though, because uh, I was actually out today. I'm actually um, I'm working on a project at Research and Development. I'm kind of in the – I'm halfway one foot in the door, one out, out the door right now. So I'm working in R&D. I'm working on a project um, trying to get a standardized rope for our stretches. You know, right now we use a Clorox bottle, which works, you know, I mean, but I want to, I want to get it all streamlined. And I've, I've been, you know, asking companies to give me an update on, you know, what they're using. And it seems to be a common thread, but um, they have the Clorox bottle. So, you know, when I was lieutenant, in Harlem, we used to use the uh, a rope bag, and it really deployed nicely. And you know, especially when we had long stretches. Or oh, here he is! Hey, hey Eric! Here he is! <laughs> All right, you made it. So, uh, so that's where I'm at right now. But anyway, um, what uh, what is the in your Clorox bottle? What was the length of the of the rope? So, out of the hundred responses I've gotten back out of the two hundred engine companies, um. The, the norm is 75 feet, three-eighth inch, um, you know, anywhere from, you know, three-strand with the carabiner on both sides. And, you know, it works pretty nice, you know. Um, what are you like, – uh, what's like what's the longest? Five floors? That's a, that's 75 feet. It's about five, right? Well, we have to come from the floor below. So you're really now coming – you know, maybe to the fourth floor, but we do have seven story buildings. So, you know, if you figure 10 foot of a floor, yeah, yeah. you know, the highest the building can be is actually 75 feet. But then there's overhangs and uh, setbacks and whatnot. So we're thinking 75 is the sweet spot and nothing too thick, but nothing too thin. Maybe just nylon, three strand, nothing crazy, nothing commercial. You know, it's got to do one job really. Right. It's got to bring the rope. It's got to bring the hose line up, or if we maybe deploy for the cockloft nozzle. Yeah, it's got to be light. Very efficient. Yeah. So, so that's kind of my my hopefully going to be my my swan song. Get <laughs> <laughs> this instituted before I uh, check out. You know. So anyway. So is Eric with us still, or is he? <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I just had um, trying to get my phone situated. No, no I can hear you good. All right, Eric, good. So tonight I was thinking about um, talking about some safety stuff. I um, I don't know if I'm repeating myself. I apologize because um, my memory is not at all what it used to be. But I, I think we can put a fresh perspective on it anyway, and. Um, one of the someone in South America sent me a video two days ago about it was a May Day. Uh, one guy is critical, one guy is I guess stable. And the video he sent me was a firefighter, and it looks like he's coming up a, a portable ladder through the flames, 
up onto the roof. Don't know what transpired before that or after that. I don't know if, what his, you know, he's in full bunker gear. So, let's, you know, God willing, he's probably, you know, maybe he's got some minor burns. Let's hope, you know. But it brings me to what I want to talk about tonight. And um, in the wildland, I did some wildland fire with the uh, New York City's incident management team. And I went to, out on a few deployments in the operations section. And one thing that they take very seriously in the wildland is safety, right? And what they do before they start any operation is they ask is leases in place, right? Lease stands for lookouts, communications, escape routes, and safe zones. So I wanted to discuss with you guys on where do we stand as battalion chiefs running an incident with safety and who's watching who's back, right? Because in, as an incident commander, you know, you're concentrating on getting hose lines and stretched and portable ladders up, aerial ladders, uh, forced entry searches, you know, the, the uh, status of the fire. And, you know, that's a whole job in itself. I know, Tony, you've done safety back in D.C., I'm not sure, Eric, if you've ever done safety, though I like, I do like how Boston does their, their whole writ and their whole safety. But, you know, so as far as lookouts, um, well, first I'd like to start with this, is that I think what happens is, you know, firefighters arrive on the scene, fires out the windows, and the tunnel vision kicks in, you know, moth to the flame, Right. And I had this lieutenant, he just retired, actually. Um, he aged out, this guy, Tommy McCarthy. He used to cover in, in sock when I was a firefighter. And um, he used to say to me after a fire, he'd say, Danny, you know, what floor was the fire on? I'm like, like a little wise ass, like, I don't know, man. You know, we're going above anyway. You know, but we have, a, we have this tendency to get uh, tunnel vision, you know. And as a chief, we can't have tunnel vision. We have to see a bigger picture. So... You know, Tony, what do you like? What's your experience with um, this whole safety business? Yeah, I mean, I think um, as a battalion chief, I think the biggest thing was having some redundancy built in, right? Um, again, you know, a, a backup crew that that may not be there to uh, to put the fire out, but they might be there just to be to be extra people that aren't. You know, I, I like the. I've been talking, I've been looking at some of the different ideas about RID and I really like the on deck idea where, you know, you just kind of build that, you build that uh, manpower supply, if you will, on the fire floor. So you have uh, some of that redundancy built in and somebody there that can, that can help. Cause that seems to be the, that seems to be the, the, uh, the real rescue, right? Um, the RIT team is not necessarily the ones rescuing them. It's definitely uh, people on the fire floor, the uh, other members of the crew, you know. So I think that's that's important to me is getting some of that, just getting more people in there, you know, and, and helping with helping with that kind of buffer, the overwhelming, you know, having more people than I need really is what I think is the is the big goal. Yeah. You know, I'll give you a quick fire story. So I was down in South America and we were doing a live burn. Like really this live burn, it was no difference than being at a real all hands fire, or real, you know, multiple alarm. Because what we did, we had an old apartment house and, um, you know, we lit up, a, you know, one or two rooms and, you know, it was, we played it just like it was a real fire, you know. And one of these things I was adamant about was that I wanted to have a safety team inside the fire department in another room with a line charge, right? So I was very adamant about this. I said, we're not doing this until we get a safety team with the line charge, right? So, you know, like I said, you know, sometimes you get tunnel vision. And what happened was to save money, the owners of the building decided that they wanted to rip up the floor, right? So it's this wooden floor. And they left all these little brats, you know, little eighth of an inch little nails, you know? So sure enough, <clears throat> they light up the room. It's going pretty good. You know, we got the engine going in and we got trucks and 
as they're moving in, now I'm like kind of playing the lookout because I'm outside the door. All of a sudden there's this chaos and there is water everywhere. The line got shredded. <laughs> you know, it just got torn to pieces. But you know what? It was seamless because I just said, you guys back out that line. And then the safety team was like literally right there, you know, and they put the fire up. Eric, what's your experiences with this whole, you know, how do you perceive your view and your, your role in safety when you're running a fire? Pretty much, I think it, it starts with, you know, receipt of the alarm. Just your mentality when you go out the door. Um, myself, personally, like we have a safety chief. I think I did it once. Um, so I, you know, I have more about tactics and strategy, but I try to implore to my guys that, you know, safety starts the minute you come in. Um, check your gear, your mask, tools on the truck. And one thing I'm, I'm really, uh, anti is anti, um, freelancing. I, I think that's still the number one problem on a lot of fire ground is people freelancing. Uh, and I also like the way we do it, you get, a two RIT companies and a chief in charge of it. And um, I'm not sure how it is with you guys, but nobody wants to be the RIT company. No. So when they come up, the first thing they do is, hey, are you the RIT? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you don't know. They announce it over the radio now. If you ever listen to one of our boxes, they'll tell you exactly who the RIT is. Mm -hmm. And I try to really get into newer chiefs or acting chiefs. Remember that the RIT team is extremely important. Just because the guys are chomping at the bit and they want to go, you can't say, okay, go ahead, send me another RIT. Cause what if that takes five minutes and something mm. bad happens? So the hardest mm. thing is to like, when I'm the RIT and they tell me who the RIT is, I'm like, that's what you're doing. You can, you can, you can add extra ladders, but you're not going to work, give it up. You know what I mean? This, even if you get no um, play time this time, maybe next time, you can't win them all. <clears throat> and that's, that part for me is hard because um, I, I think I'm better at it now, but then when we first started it, the temptation was, yeah. oh, I need an engine. And boy, there's an engine standing right there. Mm. So let me use them. Right. Whereas now it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you, just be ready to go in case you need it. And I, I think chief officers need to be a little more um, aggressive in that approach and not fall for the puppy dog look when they're looking at you like, oh, come on, uh, they need a line up there. You know what I mean? Hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I personally myself have never done time in the safety cars, we call it. So um, it's always in my mind, but it's not at the forefront of my mind. So I'm glad that we send another chief. We send a safety chief and a red chief to, to kind of delegate those those uh, responsibilities so that I myself can concentrate on, you know, running the fire, so to speak. Yeah. I like I like what you said about checking your gear, the mask and the tools, because you know, my wife, she you know, she throws this acronym at me all the time. She'll say, you know, it's the five Ps. And it's, it'll be uh, proper preparation prevents poor performance, you know, and, um, you know, no, I'm just saying it, it ties in perfectly what you're saying, because, you know, it's a little thing. Like I had, to, I had a job one time when I was a lieutenant and really lieutenant, I never checked my mask. It was always the, the firefighters would check the masks, you know, I get up to the, to the fire department, you know you know, ready, ready to go in. I mask up like, you know, and I turn on, there's no air, you know, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like, like someone was supposed to check that mask. Maybe should have I checked it as even as a lieutenant, I probably should have checked it, even though that's the job of a junior firefighter. So, you know, it's these little things that could trip us up, you know, like a, a mask not working, 
tools not working right, you know, just anything, because any delay exponentially increases, you know, and any delay in opening a door, um, you know, any kinks in the line, anything, a leaky butt, you know, even checking the washes in the, in the hose lines, you know what I mean? Like a, a leaky butt, a burst length, all that stuff is preventable, you know? So, um, yeah, I had, I had, I, the other day I was, uh, I happened on, I went out to go to see one of the, they had a crash on the highway and, um, I went made my way out there and, uh, one of the, um, we expect, you know, on an extrication call that the engines that are going to be involved with the extrication that those guys put on their turnout gear. Um, right. We expect that to, to happen. And, um, again, right. Like, like you say, you prepare, you prepare so that you can get that stuff on really quick. Right. I mean, that's that's whether it's a, a fire call, a mess call, whatever you get, you prepare to get out the door quick. So it just so happened this lieutenant didn't have his gear on. And the mm-hmm. uh, the battalion chief that was in charge said something to him. He's like, hey, man, where's your turnout gear? And he's like, well, you know, chief, uh, we, we were trying to get out the house really fast. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's yes, you, you do. You prepare to get out the house really fast. Right. And um, if you don't, then you was piss poor pre- preparation. So, hey, LT, maybe you need to go back and, you know, do some do some practice on, on getting out of the house fast because um, <clears throat> we want you to get out of the house fast and be be ready to go when you get out of the house. So, I, I mean, again, like you said, uh, uh, that make excuses. And, um, you know, I, I think that I think. Eric hit it pretty early on when he said mindset, right? It's, it's a lot about, it's a lot about the mindset and it's a, it's a mindset about doing the job. It's a mindset about, about being safe, about reducing your risk, all that kind of stuff. So I I think a lot goes back to that. Yeah. You know, I want to address the lookouts, right? So on the leases, the first one, the L is lookouts, you know, and I think there's a few places on the fire ground where we could kind of have somebody doing their job. Like in our job, two engines will stretch a line, right? So the second engine officer, one of his jobs is actually, you know, is to kind of keep an eye on what's going on. You know, so you you have the line moving in. Maybe that engine officer, the second to engine officer is at the door. He's looking, making sure fire's not over their head, not wrapping around. Who's going above? You know, keeping a little track on like who's going above. Because... We don't. We used to, when we used to only have one engine stretching the line, and we had four firefighters on a back step. That uh, doorman, that third guy, that was kind of his job, or her job, I should say now. And um, you know, just a mental note of like, hey, I just saw the truck company go above, you know, and now all of a sudden we lose water. So, you know, that lookout is like kind of like that safety buffer between the guys, the firefighters inside, and the firefighters above. And the other place where I see it really, and this ties into what happened the other day down in, in South America, is on the roof. You know, like we all know up on the roof. I mean, I the last fire I had was in June. It was like a ninth alarm. And I'm telling you, I mean, the amount of noise that was on the roof and just the amount of firefighters running around and fire is like venting out of like numerous holes. And, you know, like someone's got to step take a step back and take a bigger picture instead of like you know when you're cutting a hole you're focusing on cutting that hole right and you're not really seeing especially if it's you know the smoke's everywhere you're not seeing what's going on so i mean is there any like what am i missing is there other places too where like we need a possibly like a lookout so to speak what do you think tony or eric tony and eric yeah let me um because I only know from what I see, like on the internet, right? So my aide is kind of, he does the rear for me, gives me a report, right. then, he, then he's supposed to keep the stairways as clear as possible. But I also try to stress to him, if you see anything, uh, feel free to tell the guys or the officer or whoever, you know, like if you had to tell them, hey, back up and like the officers know that if it comes from my aid, it's pretty much coming from me. Mm. 
and I know a lot of places don't have AIDS or they're more like um, a stand outside of the chief aid. Mm -hmm. So uh, at least in a wood frame, I mean, in a bigger building, it gets pretty difficult, but not average three decker. So that's kind of what I use my aid for. Um, I like to think he's um, like people say driver, but to me, that doesn't do any justice. He's a, an extension of myself, the way I look at it. So, um, and I'm on my fifth aid now. <laughs> uh, I could be a little um, demanding, I guess you would call it. Hmm. But if things don't work out, I have no problem going to the bullpen. Hmm. But, I, but I also stress that, hey, I expect you to be something similar to that. I wouldn't say totally like that, but, you know, eyes and ears, you're my eyes and ears. Um, you have some set things I need done, but if you see something, say something. And the offices in, that work under me know that if it comes from him, it might as well be coming from me. Yeah. So there, sh there shouldn't be that. And it, it's not like he yells at an officer, but, you know, they understand it and, and will listen. Um, but yeah, I, I would imagine in a big building, you would want maybe a, even a chief doing that kind of. Um, I think of one fire I won't get into was a line of duty, but um, inside it was like chaos with, uh, hmm. you know, when the radio's chatter and somebody's missing, you tend to, um, everyone gets um, crazy and they, their common sense goes out the window. Yeah. So I, I think with like a large commercial or something, I would prefer a fellow chief kind of like, Hey, you you do that while you're in my district, and if I come into yours, I could do that for you. Yeah, yeah, we do the same in New York. Um, what do you think, Tony? Yeah, I had that. I had that same setup. The second chief, you know, I, I I see some other guys. They would take that second chief and maybe put him in charge of a of a division or a group or something. And I'm like, no, I want you to go in there. And you tell me, you know, where you need to be, but, but you really, I want you to be the extension, my, right? the extension of, of the command post. And, and you're that guy that, that does that. Now, I think that this, the only thing here is that all of the, the common denominator in whatever you're doing, it's all about people, right? You have to have enough resources to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, I can speak that, um, the resources now, and, and we're a resource poor, um, but at, you know, as we can get more, then that helps us with that, you know, building that redundancy and having that that little bit of slack in the system, so we have someone that can be the overall right, the the eyes and ears. It's tough, but that's a good idea. The uh, the Lisi's idea, you know, and we can apply that to some of the ways we work. Yeah, I think as we're, uh, you know, we're in December now, and if we get a cold snap, you may not get it down by you, but I know in Boston and New York, I mean, we, we get snaps sometimes for a few days and we get frozen hydrants. And that's something that's got to be on everybody's mind. You know, like you have to think about, like, especially on your floor above, um, if you're up there doing a search, you've done your search, you know, and you hear like there's certain words that you hear. You know, and I'm always dialed in on it. And if you're the chief and you're like a sector chief and you're you're handling a fire floor and a floor above and you hear problems with water, like anything like, yeah, we got a frozen hydrant. You have to start thinking like, hey, <laughs> time out, you know, like let's let's kind of slow it down here a bit. Let's kind of pull it back, you know, because without a positive water source, I mean, the booster tank's only going to go for 500 gallons or 750, depending, you know. You're not going to do, you know, you, you can't overcommit on booster water, you know. And um, I think that's something that chiefs, you know, like you guys said, the, the second chief, which I did a lot of, is you got to be really paying attention. It kind of ties in with the second part of that leases, which is communications. And, and I, I can't even stress this enough. 
if there's a, a engineer or a chauffeur, we call them chauffeurs in New York, if he's got any problem with water, uh, immediately get on the radio. Hey, you know, engine 20 to command, I'm having problems here. I got ice, I got frozen hydrant, whatever it is, because that's got to get out. Because we, once we hear that we have water problems, we got to just slow it down. Like everyone's got to just like, hey, listen, man, we may not be going above. You know, let's let's just wait till we get that water. Let's get a positive water source and let's get that water going. Eric, what do you what do you think about that whole situation as we're coming into the winter? Um, I hate it. <laughs> um, as Adi O'Leary said, fire season. But I think um, we've been pretty fortunate that I would say over the last couple of decades, we went from extremely unreliable hydrant system to mostly a good system. Early, like um, in the fall, everyone's supposed to go out and inspect the hydrants in their subdistrict mm. to try to find one that's broken, that's not draining, so that we could contact the water department and have it fixed before the code. Yeah. But also, like you just said, any issues, get on the air, let somebody know. And the other pump operators, you know, they can work together, especially if you're on a tight street. Um, I think sometimes we forget that some of these pumps can run five lines or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you got an issue with uh, frozen hydrants or what we get, the buried in snow hydrants, um, say something because now you're going to have to, as the chief, you're going to say, oh, hey, uh, ladder so-and-so, you got to hold up before you go above the fire or you can only go so deep. Uh, extra laddering. Um, we're fortunate. Well, in a bad snowstorm, they'll let us hire extra people. Mm -hmm. But um, I try to stress to my guys is communicate any kind of problem, especially water, and work together. If that takes me asking for more companies, fine, but you got to let me know because I might be kind of focused on the actual fire building. And I would say now the biggest problem is people just shoveling, the, they'll cover the hydrant in the snow so they can park there. Mm -hmm. So if you're not out and about learning your hydrants, you're not going to know where it's at uh, when you need it or under a pile of snow. And um, now where I live, they put the metal the uh, metal rod with a flag. Mm -hmm. But we don't do that in the city. And mm. even seeing how people putting barrels over the hydrant to park, but if 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 that's your district, you should be aware. You know, uh, you're coming in work on a snowstorm, drive down a couple of those side streets first, see how they look. Get in, tell your officer, hey, we should go check those hydrants. Uh, they're all buried in snow, or people are parking on them. Um, I, I mean, we all like going to fires, but uh, I, I really maybe I'm getting crap. Uh, cranky, but the winter's now really are starting to get to me. <laughs> and and um, but I'm also glad that we have good equipment. Yeah. Unlike when I first came on, reliable nice. equipment. Um, but yeah, I, I winter's oh. <clears throat> and we used to have Lowry hydrants that they were all paved over. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Lowry hydrants. Mm -hmm. Um carried a big brass portable hydrant on the back step and in the middle of the street would be a plate you pull the plate up you got to put the hydrant on screw it on then you could use it those are all gone that sounds like <laughs> uh, sounds like some england stuff there didn't that come from uh the old country how they had the hydrants i've seen them in europe yeah um probably haven't seen one in houston 15, 20 years, but um, the last one I know that wasn't covered over was actually in three-decker land that most people don't know was there. Um, but there also, we had a high-pressure hydrant system in the high-rise area and they're phasing that out. I don't know why, but um, yeah, winter's in the hydrants, man. Oof. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> 
know, Eric, Eric, you mentioned about double parking now. And I've noticed over the years now that people have no respect for hydrants anymore. They just treat it like a regular parking spot. And it's like, it's like, it's like, I can't believe how brazen they are. And it's, it's really starting to become an issue now because, you know, between the hydrants being blocked and then the double park cars, and you know, the UPS driver, the Amazon driver, the FedEx, I mean, in in New York City, and I'm sure in Boston, I'm not sure like where you are, Tony, but I mean, getting down some of the streets anymore is like impossible, and the rigs are getting bigger, and it's like it's like perfect storm, you know. So, again, more reason to slow things down. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I I, uh, I could see that. I almost I got in a fight with my neighbor about his hydrant, and uh, he was uh, let his lawn care company park on the hydrant, you know, and uh, like, you don't understand what this is. This is just totally um, inconsiderate, right? Very selfish that you're, you're letting them park on the hydrant. But oh, I, um, I, I definitely, uh, we definitely, you know, need those and, 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 and come to come to need them. But I, I do, I do think that if, if you have a water problem, it needs to get communicated quickly. And, uh, it, it can definitely change your game plan or you need to come up with, you know, another, another option. I like what we do now. We've done it for a few years now. If we have a water problem, as soon as it's found out, we'll transmit a code and everyone knows what it means, you know, 1070. And it gets transmitted by the dispatches with tones, 1070 box one, two, three, four. And that really just lets every pump operator know like, Hey, let me get a hydrant and, um, you know, let's work together. I had a, I had a situation which is kind of crazy, right? Because, um, I think it was LA and then there was one in Atlanta where there was a fire under the freeway. Right. And I have, I have 95 goes right past the firehouse, you know, and we had a homeless encampment underneath the, um, you know, we call it the Bruckner, which is really 95. It's an extension, goes up up into into New England, and we they they were fighting with each other. So it was going. We were going there like every other tour for, you know, rubbish fires, and you know they would light up this guy's camp. He would piss him off, and then he'd light his camp up. So one day, they got this thing rocking. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a sea of fire, right? And uh, it was a it was one of those nights. It was like zero degrees. I mean, it was just, so my first engine, they get on the radio, okay, engine, you know, to command, I got a frozen hydrant, next engine, every hydrant, the three engines, all were on frozen hydrants, right? Now this thing is rocking, and it's it's near a waterway, this Hutchinson River, like Bronx River, it, but it's a, a shallow waterway, and I'm thinking, like, I'm going to call the fireboat, but they ain't going to get here for a half hour, <laughs> you know, and this thing is, is rocking. And I have to tell you the chauffeur, his name was Corey West. I'll never forget what the guy was like a musician. So the engine comes up and next thing you know, they're flowing and they're knocking all this fire down. And I'm just looking like, wow. All right. You know, we fixed the water problem. One of the hydrants, we got it working, whatever. Anyway, after the fire, I said to the lieutenant, I said, look, man, I want to talk to you. I said, what, you know, how'd you, where'd you find the water? You know, did you draft out of the river? What'd you do? He says, no. He says, Corey went over to the uh, storage place. It was one of those like cubit, like five-story storage places that had a, a standpipe system. He tapped into their standpipe system and drafted out of the standpipe system. You know, so he drew the water out of the main through their standpipe and you know the the outlet on the first floor and supplied his pumper <laughs> yeah good thinking i said wow wow that's what i could say i was like wow so that's a trick that's kind of known now in the job i mean we don't do it a lot but when we get those frozen hydrants if you got you know high rises multi-story buildings with standpipes you know there you go you got ten thousand gallons of water sitting up on the on the roof you know I don't know. Definitely kudos to him. So, 
Um, the other, so the other E is escape routes, right? And uh, again, this ties in with this kind of tunnel vision. You know, like everyone wants to get aggressive. They want to get in there, get a piece of the fire. They want to do a search, but, but you know, do we sometimes do we think about if things go sideways, like how we're going to get out? And Tony, you were just talking about um, a firefighter that had to unfortunately jump out a window. And uh, that's not really a good option, especially when you're on the fourth or fifth floor. We don't want to be jumping out windows, you know. We want to kind of establish um, that we have a um, an escape route. And a good friend of mine, really good friend, very, very dear friend, was killed in a fire probably 30 years ago. Um, he was in a rescue company. And uh, I think we naturally think this, like when we make a move that, you know, okay, well, if this is bad, I'll go out the window, and, you know, and there's a fire escape. But this this um, room flashed on him, and he went towards the window instead of going, I guess, back towards the door. He's probably closer to the window. And there was a padlock on the on the window gate, you know. So I think um, what firefighters need to do, and I think chiefs need to reinforce this, is, you know, if you're going to go above, you know, like my lieutenant taught me very early, you know, when you're going above, he told me, he says, we're forcing that door first, which is the off door, before we force the door to the fire apartment, the, the floor above the fire apartment. So, you know, what do you guys, uh, Eric, what's your thoughts on like escape routes? Well, I, um, I would say up to like four stories. Um, Leo Stapleton once said to me, every floor there's a fireman, there should be some ground ladders. Mm, I like that. So um, up to about that level, I, I try to keep that in mind. And um, although I am known to have a lot of, a lot of ladders up, so I try to keep that. When you start getting into that higher level, my thing is um, you have to be a real uh, realistic. You know, you start getting above ground ladders. Yeah, we have aerials, but they're usually to the roof. Uh, try to tell the officers and, and the members, like, If you don't think there's another way, don't go too far. I, I don't know how to how else to say it. Like um, we all seen the pictures or the videos of somebody coming out a window. I don't know about you. I don't trust any rope. Um, and and so in the larger buildings, uh, I really stress let's get water as soon as possible. Um, remember, like we all been there where somebody everyone's screaming somebody's in there and after the fire they're like oh it's my birds or a cat or oh i don't really know them i just thought there was so i just like go the extra yard when you know but I, i'm just not a fan of like going too deep above fire without a line or at least knowing that the line's coming through the door right um a quick story it was um He's an acting lieutenant on the engine. And we had about like six three-deckers going at the same time. And we went up the rear. And, you know, acting, so I didn't really, you know, how like you're in charge, but you probably shouldn't be in charge. <laughs> so the guys are like, come on, we'll go up to the third floor. You, we saw all the fire. Okay. So we go up the rear stairs. The company I went up the front stairs forced the door uh, and broke the hint the door off the hinges now the second floor took off hmm. and now we're on the third floor saying holy cow it's getting really hot we got a big line you know hmm. I mean things worked out that night but I always try to stress like I mean you do what you got to do but um, know that engine that's coming like because let's be honest, some are more reliable than others, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, don't be a cowboy, but do your job. I don't, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't want to say anything hot or fast, but 
there's been times when I was a fireman and I was like, oh, crap. I hope they hurry up and get water because I'm stuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's something when you're standing outside is something that you can't get too focused on because then, you, you you know, you get that paralysis by analysis. Um, so that's why I personally always stress, let's get water ASAP because, you know, solves everything, hopefully. Hmm. I made a mistake one time. Um, I was working in the squad, and um, I think it was the second time we were back to this building. And we have these in New York, we have these what we call railroad flats, right? So they have this, they're like railroad cars, right? So they're always they're set up the same way, right? The kitchens are in the rear with the bathroom, and then there's a kind of a living room, and then there's a bedroom, 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 right? And usually there's a door on both sides of the apartment, right? So you have a, a, a door in the back and a door in the front. And I, one thing I learned a few times, and, you know, when you pass fire, right? So the fire was all, it had complete possession of the fourth floor, but the fifth floor was, it was starting to expose. And there was just a little bit of fire in the kitchen. It was like, it was coming up the walls a little bit. So I was like, eh, we got time, <laughs> you know? So I, I said to the other guy, come on, let's go. Because if things go sideways, We'll go out the front window. I'm sure the aerial's there, or we'll we'll just go out the other door. Well, we go down. We're doing a search. We get to the rear room, the front room, and now the whole room lights up in in the back. And now, you know that that exit is now cut off. So I'm like, all right, no problem. But now, the occupants boarded up that front door, like with plywood. So okay, <laughs> that's out. So I, all right, we'll go out to the window, you know, and then sure enough, like you said, Eric, the aerial wasn't there. <laughs> the aerial's up on the roof. So now it's like, you know, like in Jaws when like Charlie's swimming <laughs> to get away from the, the shark, you know, we bolted back and like we had to now dive under the, you know, and out the front door, you know. But I think um, the point that is that, you know, don't assume, you know, like I made a stupid error in judgment you know like you got to respect fire because i'm telling you i it's happened more than once where you know like one little dresser or mattress around next thing you turn around uh, 30 seconds later or whatever the, the whole room's gone so you really have to respect that what, what do you think tony what's your thoughts i, I like the um i like the idea of, of, of like you mentioned about we're going to force that door first before we we get the the fire room right and that can be the same if you have, uh, if you're in a, a private dwelling, right? If if you have a bedroom, one bedroom's good, the other bedroom's on fire. You know that could be your area of refuge. Um, I think it's tough to depend on on ground ladders uh, because, again, I mean, you gotta that that in order to get ground ladders up, you gotta have people to put them up. Um, and you know, I, I think a lot of uh, and you, Eric, also mentioned it, right? If if we can put the fire out, then all of our problems go away. So maybe we commit all of our people that to do that, then worry about uh, the ground ladder stuff on the outside. But again, I think it you got to hammer it into your to your people that um, don't don't get too far out over over your skis, right? Um, make sure you've got you've got a little bit of buffer in there. And uh, I, I, again, I know we've all been there where, where you can, you see an engine coming in, you see him come in. I know we had a fire. We were on the fourth floor of a, of a um, apartment building and, and uh, we saw the engine come in the first floor. So, okay, now we can take the windows, you know, they're coming. Well, something hung them up, you know, and, and now we were caught. So it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's almost, you got to confirm, right? Don't, don't assume anything confirm and then um and then make those decisions um it's it's tough but i do like the um area of refuge idea i think that's a good one to pound home yeah what i like to see happen um especially when we get these we have these big h type buildings in the bronx and uh you know we have the like two wings and i know in boston i, I saw a few big most of the buildings are like triple deckers and brownstones, but I saw over by Fenway, I think there's a there's a bunch of uh, apartment houses, you know. What I like to see is if we got a fire in the top floor, it's in a cock loft, you know, I want to have an aerial ladder 
on both sides, you know, because um, fires in a cockloaf, they move so fast and it doesn't take long, you know, before, uh, you know, you're on the wrong side of it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was on a roof of a taxpayer one time. I was lieutenant. And no, I wasn't on the roof now. I was, I'm sorry, I was in a squad. And um, we were in the end store, right? So there's like six stores, right? And the, it's in a cockloaf, rolling mer merrily, you know? And, um, you know, a little trick that I used to do is I'd put my tool, I'd get, get up on a counter or something like that, and I'd put my tool up into the cockloaf, and I'd feel it. And if it was hot, you know, I'd think like, okay, well, possibly we got fire up above us, you know? Well, sure enough, I did that, and I felt that my tool was like red hot, you know. So I get on the radio. I'm like, a squad to command. I said, and we need a line in the um, in the whatever store that was exposure, whatever it was, a pizza place or whatever it was. And the chief gets back on. He says, uh, "That's impossible." He says, "We have a firewall." And I'm like, you know, I'm a lieutenant. I'm going to argue with a deputy chief, right? So we're so I kind of quietly, I just, I, I called up to the guys on the roof. I said, just cut the hole. You know, it's just as we got fire. And sure enough, we did have fire up there. And um, anyway, I went back the next day to for drill. And I, I said, because I was perplexed because I could see the parapet going from front to rear and on, you know, on the, on the store. And I, I asked one of the guys, I said, do me a favor, just cut a little hole over here and he, take your hook and just, and sure enough, it didn't go all the way down. It just, it was like a false wall on the top, you know? And uh, we get a lot of that too um, with these I-beams. They encase them in tar and they look like fire stops, but they're not. So, you know, with regards to safe zones and escape routes, um, I would double check. I wouldn't rely solely on just what I see. You know, if I see a firewall, like you think you're okay. Like that happened to me in June, you know, wasn't too sure which way the firewalls were running, but it was quite obvious because this fire was just, I mean, it was just rocking and rolling, you know, and there was really nowhere else to go because I was now on the, on the Bravo side. That was it. The next, <laughs> it was just nothing but, you know, seven stories down. And if that, there was no firewall there, it, you know, if I didn't have an area, which we didn't have one at the time, you know, you're going over with your rope or whatever. So, I would say uh, as far as escape routes and safety zones, verify them. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I um, well, we could be here all night with stories, but um, one thing now, I don't know if this is similar. So maybe about a year ago, they finally gave Chiefs thermal imaging cameras. Because mm -hmm. like you just said, like it's, and I think this is, when you have like our time, you assume too much. Oh, I've seen that. Don't worry about it. Mm. Um, but I like to, and they're cheap, don't get me wrong, but I like to point up and say, oh, you know, you look at the temperature. Because mm. um, like, you know, so many times if you assume, mm -hmm. it's going to bite you in the ass. Um, but I also, uh, trying to, stress to people to give good communications mm. um so you know some guys and girls are naturally high strung mm -hmm. some are the opposite trying to mm. learn to play is um like you know some offices everything is heavy fire and then you have other offices <laughs> you, they could be on fire and they wouldn't even tell you yeah. <laughs> and you, you speak on the taxpayer um the last mm. one i had I would have bet a million bucks it was going down the cockloft. And short enough, though, there was a firewall that, you know, there was no outward indication that there mm -hmm. was one. Right. Um, and I, I would have bet a million dollars. And mm. turned out that was just smoke, no fire. Mm. <laughs> you know, Tony, Eric made a great point, and I, I'm glad he brought that up about good comms. I try to tell firefighters when you give a report, especially from the roof, you know, just call it like it is. Don't make assumptions because, you know, a firefighter that has like two years on the job and never been on a roof, 
opens it and sees smoke come out and all of a sudden he said, hey, chief, we got fire in a cock loft, you know. Um, that could be a game changer for us, you know. But just tell me I got smoke in a cock loft, you know. I had a guy one time tell me he had fire in a cock loft and even from where I was in the street, it didn't feel right. I was just like, hmm. I told my aide, I said, you know, he's ready. Hey, chief, you know, second alarm. I'm like, no, nah, just give it, give it a minute. I, I, I don't, I don't think it don't look, it's not enough kick up there. It's just, it's, and sure enough, uh, a minute later, the guy apologized, chief, I'm sorry. Oh, it's just a minor extension. I'm like, okay, 10, four, no harm, no foul. But I, I think you're right, Eric. I mean, I, I think the communications have to be really crisp, you know, and they have to be not fluffy, you know, I mean, I've made stupid mistakes in my life. Oh, um, yeah. How um, uh, how frank can I be? Let it roll, so, man. Go ahead. <laughs> you made me think of this fire I had. Let it roll. I, I had about um, I didn't have too much time in grade, and it turned out it was the um, an old nationalist Chinese ambassador's house had secret stairways and everything but it had burnt multiple times and each time they just you know put a new sail in instead of fixing wow. the hole so we get this fire <laughs> it's blowing out second window guys do their thing yada yada <clears throat> and somebody i didn't know says ah oh, we're all set so i'm like okay making up companies with rescue return where companies can return. <laughs> and this little lady comes up to me and she's like, fireman, that house is still on fire. And I'm like, ma'am, don't worry. I'm a professional. We know what we're doing. <laughs> Finally, she's like, listen, motherfucker, will you turn around? And I turn around, it's blowing out the windows. <laughs> the guys from the roof made a hole. Yeah. Oh, it's just smoke. The guys below pulled the ceiling, just smoke. Yeah. There's two more ceilings between. <laughs> and um I had my aide get on the phone and call Freilam to like send back a couple companies. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a learning lesson. Um yeah. not to be so um arrogant and in in yeah. in know know who's giving you the information. Yeah. Cause it wasn't a regular officer in my district. Yeah. And uh, it was the funniest. It's funny now because no one got hurt. But yeah. boy, that was embarrassing. A little old lady screaming at me, swearing, "You don't know what you're doing." Yeah, I had that same situation. I was a captain, and I was working in a truck company. And I told the guy, I said, "I want you to pull all the ceilings in the room." He's like, "All right, cap. Yeah, there's no, no fire in a, up in the cockloft." And I said, "Now, I said, do me a favor, pull the other ceiling now." <laughs> and sure enough, it was rolling around up there in that that other ceiling. So. Yeah, I mean, um, it happens. That's that's a funny story. What do you think, Tony? Just uh, what's the um, what's the S in the leases? Well, safety zones. They kind of tie in with the escape routes. Like a safety zone, I always think like in the wildland, they call it the black. So what they'll do is, um, you know, as the fire burns, it creates this black. So they want to know always where the black is because if things go sideways, they run back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the black. We don't really have a black per se. I mean, the best we can do is, you know, like on a taxpayer or a multiple, you know, multiple frames, you know, you know, where, where's the safe one? You know, like, yeah. You know, like, um, so. Now, where, where you at? So up on Bonds Avenue, it's a lot of these like two story row houses and the basements are like apartments. Yeah. Um, you probably know what I'm talking about. They're probably all over the Bronx. Yeah. Um, I notice uh, kind of similar with us. If the rig gets going, it tends to go. It'll jump several buildings before mm. you get ahead of it. So do you guys have any, like, say, in that type of building, does anybody automatically go to the rear? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The OV, uh, outside, outside vent firefighter. That's it. He's my, he or she is my, you know, my eyes and ears in the back. And my roof firefighter is my eyes on the roof. You know, so we, 
we're good with that. We have enough manpower for that, you know, and I'm, I'm sure DC had the same. I mean, yeah, you know. so we had, you know, the first engine always went to the front, the second engine went to the rear, the third engine to the, yeah. took up the, picked up the first dude's line and the fourth picked up the third, the second dude's line. And then the second dude truck goes to the rear. So it's, um, we have a really good series of alleys, right? So there's always a really good access to the rear of the building. Um, so yeah, we, it was, it was we don't focus on the rear. We focus more on the floor above. Like I know Boston does the same with the rear, but we don't have alleys like that. I mean, yeah. we do in some parts of Queens, we have private dwellings, but the rear, we hit everything kind of from the front, you know, and, um, you know, we're more worried about auto exposure than we are, you know, like anything else, you know, so. I'd, I'd say ours was all about the basement fire. Right. And, and, uh, and typically, yeah. Typically, with the back then, the the chiefs that were forward thinking would would get that company in the rear quick because you know it was three stories in the rear, two stories in the front, so that rear basement was a walkout, and you could walk right in in the rear. So they were very they were very quick on getting another company in the rear. So then they made it part of the 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 guidelines. Well, I like I like what UL did. There's one video I think Adam Deal from uh, Philly. He narrates that one and he talks about fighting the fire on the same level, you know, and uh, that's becoming more in our wheelhouse because, you know, the old school, right, Eric, was like, get to the top of the stairs and dive down and get under the fire, right? (laughs) And now we're more like, okay, let's be methodical about this and and let's not incinerate ourselves, you know, and let's hit it on, on its own level. So, and... You know, I don't want to get into the whole exterior water, but, you know, there's other ways, you know, to, to deal with that basement fire. But, um, yeah, that's that's definitely um, uh, a big problem, especially in the private dwelling areas, you know. So, so anyway, yeah. So we got about four minutes left. And, you know, it's Christmas coming up. I'm just uh, – I'm happy – I'm. The good, the good thing is I don't have to travel, so there's no traffic for me. But everyone's coming to my house, so I'm doing all the cooking. And um, you know, I have to tell you, you know, it's a double. You know, it's it's cool that I don't have to travel, but at the flip side, you know, I'm going to be busy for the next whatever four days, five days. But my house has the house looking like Santa's Wonderland. I mean, <laughs> just mind-boggling how much I don't. We have a half our attic is filled with Christmas stuff, and it's it's all out right now. I cannot believe the house right now. It looks like like you know one of those department stores with the the winter one, the Christmas Wonderland, you know. So yeah, you know, um, Christmas Eve is the only tour I never really want to work. Yeah, I never minded Christmas too much. Tell you the truth. Yeah, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we we had a nice tradition though in the in the Bronx. I didn't mind working Christmas Eve because uh, you know it sucked when the kids were little. But seventy three and forty two always had mass like midnight mass, so it was like a tradition that all the companies in the South Bronx used to come over to seventy three and forty two for the mass, and we had it on the apparatus floor. It was like something like in the army, you know, like wow. like you know, like the altar was like the whatever, you know. It was just it was really. I mean, if you can't be home. It, it's not so bad being in the firehouse. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just no. I agree with Jerrica. You know, definitely. I even turned oh. down overtime. I'm like, yeah, no, pass. Yeah. And now, now July Fourth, but that wasn't always the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> July Fourth yeah. is such a mess now, and I, I'm like a grumpy old man. I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm ready to go out and throw eggs at people lighting up fireworks all night. <laughs> yeah, well my days are winding down unfortunately but um anyways well listen you guys um merry christmas to you and your families um you know hopefully this will be next christmas maybe we'll have a little uh we'll have some grandkids at some point <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> we'll see every every oh. one of my friends they're all great they all have grandkids now i'm like i have a grandmother <laughs> you know so Nope. So, anyways, enjoy your holidays. Yeah, Tony, you too. Yeah, it's been fun. Merry Christmas. So I guess I'll see you next year. We won't see each other till next year, huh? We'll be there. 
All, All right. right. Don't have don't have too much fun. All right, guys. Thanks again right. for being here. Merry Take Christmas, care. guys. Merry Thank Christmas to everybody out there. And be safe. All right. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, Visit magnagrip.com.